Welcome to the first episode of One Size Colonize, where two girls discuss much more than two ideas on socio-political issues. I'm Young Sa. And I'm Indu. And on today's episode, the all-American experience of white culture, we will be discussing whiteness as a default setting in the United States. If there are any topics you want to hear us discussing, hit us up at at once I was colonized on Instagram or at once colonized on Twitter. So I tell my mom a lot of stories about what happens at school and I don't know why but she always asks where the people I talk about are from and I usually know the ethnicities that I tell her and our school is majority Indian American, uh, mostly South Asian or mm-hmm. East Asian, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I usually like tell her their ethnicities, but when it's a white kid that I'm talking about, I just say American. It is weird because it's not like I don't think that non-white Americans are American, but when I say American, my mom just knows that I'm talking about a white kid. And that's an interesting thing. I remember I was going through YouTube, I think it was on a daily show segment. Mm-hmm. Somebody said in the comments that when white Americans say that they embrace people of other races, they mean they welcome them like a host welcomes a guest, not as fellow Americans. Yeah. And I think that's a really good idea for us to start off with. And Thank you. Uh, I think this othering of immigrants based upon the color of their skin or their ethnicity has existed and directed it's been directed towards people who are today considered white or more american these ethnicities include like roman catholic immigration mm-hmm. like the german and irish immigration during the 1840s yeah, even though they're white they were still othered yeah cuz like they weren't uh they weren't like seen as like the norm at mm-hmm. the time yeah. that they were immigrating right. into the united states mm-hmm. Um, And many famous figures across the ideological spectrum from Theodore Roosevelt to Malcolm X have called out this idea of being hyphenated as problematic for different reasons, obviously, as one thought like uh, this hyphenization would lead to uh, uh, like a divided electorate, while like Malcolm X would say that it made citizenship unattainable for black americans Mm. so using myself as an example i'm a hyphenated american because i'm indian american according to like many people like on my passport i'm indian and the erasure of such a hyphen in reference to many descendants of german and irish immigrants goes to show how americanism Americanism has now been equated with whiteness in media and in international settings. And that's how mm-hmm. that's how this like thing where like a white person walking around can be called American and no one would have a problem with that. This hyphenization has like effects every single day. If I go to Costco and I tell the lady giving us samples I won't eat meat, they'll ask me, Why is that? Where are you from? And I'll be like, I'm from Chandler, Arizona <laughs> and they'll be like no, where are you really yeah, from? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And they won't accept that as an answer, which is so annoying. They'll, like, make this face at me and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, literally yeah, in the yeah. same exact tone. That yeah. Quick, quick side note, remember when we were at the Women's March and we were, like, talking to, like, other feminists? Yeah. And somebody, like, asked you what your name is and you, like, told them and they're like what does it mean and okay nobody asked what the name sarah means yeah like yeah. if someone came up to me and they're like hi my name is caitlin i'm not gonna be like 
What does Caitlin mean? Is that like a reference to your um, cultural customs? Like no one's... I'm not going to ask that to you. So like why do you feel the necessity to ask the same questions to me? Like what is... What leads to that? That's the question we're trying to ask and answer today. Like curiosity in itself isn't a problem, but like why only to us? Yes. Yeah. 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 And like... If my little brother sees a white person in a nearby setting, like Youngsa was saying, he's going to call them American, but a brown pers- brown-skinned person is Indian, and a black person is African-American. And a lot of people are going to say, like, those descendants of German and Irish immigrants have existed in America for so long, but as many have stated, African-Americans have existed in this country mm-hmm. as slaves for way longer than those mm-hmm. German and Irish immigrants who came in the 1840s. Like, why? how are they not more American than those immigrants who came later? And that's because their skin has prevented them from accessing the same level of Americanness mm-hmm. as white people have. Um, uh, America is defined today as a melting pot, and it's been praised <laughs> for being a melting pot. And I think... Young says laughing because we have a CompGov teacher and he has a great analogy about the spaghetti melting sauce. Yeah, spaghetti sauce. Like every time someone of like a different racial identity comes to the United States, we contribute our own ethnicity in some special way and we add to the flavor, but eventually we become part of this sauce but it's still distinct united states yeah we can still taste the individual the garlic yeah tomato (laughs) yeah and so he says this right and i think that's like a great that's great that's a great idea yeah (laughs) but um i don't think we can truly be a part of a part of that sauce until the parts of us that are that are contributing to that flavor are seen as equal to whatever base the sauce was made of. Like, we all are... Yeah. (laughs) We're all equal contributors to this sauce. And until that's recognized, I don't think I can say that I'm a part of this dish, right? And this isn't just semantic debate. Most of this theoretical and academic stuff is really important in understanding the policies that have defined immigration, like the super racist immigration ads that were recently Mm -hmm. released by the Trump administration. Our conceptions of immigrants themselves are influenced by what we think Americans are. Yeah, and I think it's not just us quote-unquote outsider immigrants or first generations actually, like myself, my mom, or your brother, who equate white to American because America has always been defined as Protestant or at least Christian mm-hmm. and all the like religious liberty only re- applies to Christians. And yeah. Yeah, it people think of this country as a Christian country, mm-hmm. Christian white country. Yeah. And that's super super important. If we took if we like look at historians theories surrounding the success of archetypal like American or western Uh, capitalist economic success we can see that all of this is somehow attributed to like white Christianity and Max Weber's The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism he states that capitalism is inherent to the religious tenets of Protestantism shout out to Miss Myers Uh, (laughs) in essence he says American success can be attributed to protestantism itself and he redefines what many marxist 
critiques of America called corporate greed, and he says instead that capitalism and the pursuit of wealth is a moral language justified by its usefulness. In a seemingly underhanded way, and this is just my opinion, obviously, I believe Weber has set a precedent for defining Americans and American capitalism as good institutions which should be modeled worldwide. And he's that that's part of his ideology. Oh. Um, but this identification of success with white cultural norms is inherently wrong. And the rise of cultural theory, literally saying the norms of one society enabled it to flourish more than others, is totally wrong. There are millions of counterexamples. And we talked about, like... Uh, in our comic of class, we talked about like Asian giants, which yeah, are like China, which is, India, yeah, South Korea, even like how these countries have industrialized in the absence of such like overwhelming religious forces like Protestantism mm-hmm. that are guiding them to some sort of success. Like, none of I don't think mm-hmm. these countries have like religious ideologies yeah, yeah. that are allowing yeah. them to flourish. Korea is not religious at all because we were Confucianists for 500 years and Buddhists for 1500 years before that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not a lot of religion going on. Yeah, and even if you say like colonization allowed like these like societies to like somehow like ease those ra- those strains, I think that's like totally wrong in that colonization literally prevented these countries from mm-hmm. industrializing in the first place. Um, and while religion did play a part in the development of American societies, you can't say that uh, the it, that Protestantism is itself like white Protestantism is what allowed America to succeed. It's problematic and I'm going to explain why. Uh, Weber produces a case study of what occurs when historians equate whiteness as success in the absence of acknowledging colonialism as the thing which prevented uh, other countries from developing. So even colonization was fueled by people believing that religion allowed for their success. And there's this one painting that I'm thinking about right now. it's super famous. Uh, there's like Columbia, a white womanly figure, and she's in like white robes, and the the colonized portion of America is like a white sky. And oh, the one from Apish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what it's called. Uh, American something. American Progress by John Gast. Yeah, <laughs> American Progress by John Gast, and I think all this white imagery. There's like definitely a pattern. Um, Uh, This painting is in most, if not all, American history textbooks when we learn about the concept of manifest destiny. And it's this idea that settlers were always destined to come and colonize, and by colonizing, they were, like, fulfilling the destiny that they already had. And when I first learned about this in, like, fourth grade and then again in sixth grade, I was like, wow, so cool. (laughs) Like, go pilgrims, like go colonize the, that land like <laughs> go in your little Oregon trail and we would literally it was literally all fun fun games because we would be playing this little game where you try to like overcome hardships in your yeah. covered wagon that you would build <laughs> and it was and looking back on it like why did I ever think Manifest Destiny was a cool idea like I was rooting for these like people that were like frontiersmen or whatever like traveling across the country like that painting evoked some kind of sense of like uh, like identification with mm-hmm. those frontiers people and 
the fact that like our curriculum was written for us to redefine conquests and killings as rightful is so inherently bad and i think that's why historical uh conceptions of um protestantism as good and key to success and development are so problematic and i think taking a push allowed me to understand that um europeans and european history has continued to attribute the atrocities or at least um like allow them to be justified by religious or divine right jackson used it to define to justify the trail of tears others for annexation of texas and parts of mexico and this is just in their own contemporary history to remake the world in an image of the united states and this remaking i'm sure is something you've heard of repeatedly in the current day as a justification for intervention in middle eastern states like nation building all of that stuff can be attributed to like our religious concept or conceptions of whiteness as a default setting like mm-hmm. we must rebuild uh parts of the middle east in the in the, in the shape of american democracy we have to make them in our own image and this is why there's been so many failed nation building efforts mm-hmm. like most notably in Afghanistan, like all of these things I think can be attributed to the way like we think that like whiteness itself is superior or that uh, white democracy and Protestantism has been the key to uh, development of the United States. Yeah, that that reminds me. Well, first of all, I'm going to make a small correction. There (laughs) is a good amount of religion going on in Korea. There's a lot of Christians, Mm -hmm. but there is not nearly as collective as in America but i'm catholic and Mm -hmm. i remember so korea was colonized by japan in like 1910 to 1945 and i was about 11 or 12 talking to my mom like well god says that everybody's equal and everybody should love each other so if the japanese were catholic maybe they would have colonized and my mom was like the french (laughs) yeah so let's move on we Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think that's... Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, yeah, I think it's really important for us to, like, talk about how, like, Catholicism was, like, was not seen as influential in, like, the development of industrial societies. Like, when we learned about that in CompGov, we talked about how, like, the... Catholic rise of Catholicism in Latin America was seen as restrictive as opposed to mm-hmm. like fostering industry because but it's then, supposedly more hierarchical yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 but then in the same sense you see those same people saying colonization was good for eastern countries in which Catholicism was the main uh like was the main form of conversion right yeah, yeah and it's like so counterintuitive that the same that's the same arguments are like n- the same arguments are being made by the same people and like so contradictory in and yeah of yeah 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 <laughs> so we've talked about how we see white as a default in america but what is white culture you know it's very vague not very easy to define like not seasoning your food is not enough to constitute <laughs> culture. Um, so I read a Psychology Today article, and it defined white culture as consisting of three things. 
Number one is distinction from black culture. Number two is privilege. And number three is avoidance of self-racialization. And I, I think we all know what privilege looks like, so we won't spend too much time talking about privilege. Um, the number one distinction from black culture was like, the article explained that the reason that country music is seen as white isn't because most white people like it, but because there's so black people involved in it. So uh, I think it goes for like all people of color, not only just black people, but specifically the dichotomy is between white and black. Mm -hmm. Like I think most other races are not as prominent in this distinction. Can I add something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so like recently there is this woman from Jane the Virgin, her name is Gina Rodriguez, and she was talking about how uh, like Latina actresses are the least paid and then oh. and but like the way she said it was like very anti-black in that she said mm. oh black women are paid more than Latina actresses and then later after that like interview it was like with a bunch of other like three other actresses and they were talking about like wage gaps and stuff like that and she said and like everyone refuted the argument because it was totally wrong like mm. Sofia Vergara is the highest paid actress on like the Forbes list or whatever oh. and this like led to a discussion of like how how like a lot of people of color find the need to like push down on African-American communities right, right. in order to, like, have their own... In order to, like, solve their own issues. <laughs> Excuse me. And, and so they see, uh, like, racial divides in America as literally black and white instead yeah. of... And, but that was all... All of those things are a result of this white culture and American culture. Yeah, yeah. Constantly. Being yeah. equated. Yeah. Right. So I want to talk a little more about white people's avoidance of self-racialization. Like, I genuinely think that white people don't realize how white they are. Like, do you know that feeling when you're, <laughs> like, you're the only person of color in the room? <laughs> like, and, uh, like, you see the other person of color and you're like, yeah. Like, white people will not understand what we mean, you know? So I read a tweet by Futaba Shioda a while ago. By the way, Futaba is amazing. They are an inspiration. They were a swing on the Red Tour, and that's how I got to know them. Uh, They're Japanese-American, queer individual, non-binary, and it is, like, so inspiring to see, like, an Asian-American being an activist because it's one thing to see Asian-Americans, but it's another to see Asian-Americans being activists. Mm -hmm. So that is, like, pretty big for me. But anyway, so here's a tweet that Futaba tweeted back in December 2017. List of some things I've been yelled at for not knowing how to do the white way. Set a European table, use a dishwasher, order a steak, make a bed with all those extraneous bedsheets, celebrate birthdays, tip. Not all of us were raised by white people, so we might not have what may seem to you like common, also known as majority, also known as default, also known as privilege sense. So explain nicely and always remember to take off your shoes in my house. <laughs> and, and this is like, oh my god, I've never thought about this because I lived this every day so much that I just thought that I have to conform to this and it's my fault for not knowing something mm -hmm. and it's really weird that our culture is seen as exotic but distant like like you can be interested mm -hmm. in it and that's fun 
but you're never going to be expected to conform to it in any ways. Right. Like, if a white guest comes into my house, we're going to conform to that guest. That guest is not going to conform to the rules of my house. Mm-hmm. Whereas white culture is something that we're just expected to know. Right. That just, you know, doesn't quite make sense, but also isn't very surprising. And this just, like, shows how much white people genuinely don't know about how... Okay, we'll cut that part out. So I read a few articles about how white people are just now becoming aware of their whiteness. 76.6% of the population, I think this was the census from 2010, Mm -hmm. is white, but is projected to drop below 50% by 2044. But we have to remember that the change in numbers will not mean a change in institutional racism. Mm -hmm. So I read an article from National Geographic called As America Changes, Some Anxious Whites Feel Left Behind. And yeah, it it mostly talked about like people in Georgia, I think more like deep south where the Latino population is increasing, but also like people still have the Confederate flag and everything. Mm -hmm. And it said that the shifting demographics make white people feel threatened because they're outnumbered and they're really not used to that. And they also feel like they're guilt-tripped whenever white privilege is mentioned. Honestly, like, the outnumbered thing is like, come on, like, all of us have been living it our entire lives for generations, Mm -hmm. like, and nothing is threatening you. Like, I think that's, like, I understand logically the reaction that's happening, but I think it's sort of a thing that's like, get over yourself. Another article that I read was from the New York Times, and the title is a little funny to me. It is literally, why people are noticing something new, their own whiteness. And it said that till now, white people identified in ethnic terms like German, Irish, Jewish. Quick side note, I think I've heard people say that they're German, Italian, or Irish, but I've never heard anybody say they're French or English. Or maybe that's just because I don't see that many white people. But I don't know, that just happened to be. Anyway, so people identified in these ethnic terms instead of white, but when they identified as white, it was under the idea of the white man's burden, Mm -hmm. and it is always in separation from people of color. And this article locates the cause of of people noticing their own whiteness in the changing dynamics of the Trump era, Mm -hmm. where suddenly they realize that people are talking about how how white people don't spice their foods. And suddenly, they're the demographic that keeps calling the police on other groups. And they're like, why are we the villains? What is Mm -hmm. happening? Because this isn't supposed to be the narrative that we were fed our whole life. Mm -hmm. But uh, a common idea in both articles is, well, we've already sort of discussed this, but that if somebody is not white, they're defined by their race. But if they are white, they're defined by other characteristics Mm -hmm. like you, you talk about your, like, black friend, Jewish co- not Jewish, maybe, uh, Indian co-worker, but you don't talk about your white co-worker, you talk about your tall co-worker or something, mm-hmm. and yeah. this happens a lot in, like, literature, too, right. which we're gonna do an episode on, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, ultimately, this equating of white and American and white culture as American culture that everybody's just supposed to know ultimately manifests white privilege quick side note again i love the word manifest and you're going to hear me say it a lot it's the goal of mine to say it at least once in each episode (laughs) just for fun so 
this equating ultimately is about power relations and who's comfortable with what is expected within higher classes of society, you know, because the elite class is already dominated by white people mostly, mm-hmm. mostly white men. So actually, so I want to be a lawyer and my dad always tells me like, it's going to be a very tiring life because you have to fight the racist and the sexist as a, <laughs> as a woman of color. Intersectional. Like, yeah. <laughs> Intersectional bigotry against me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in the end, like, as we go up the ranks, uh, that doesn't sound right because, like, going up the ranks, I don't really like that idea, but also it's the reality. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so, like, we we can agree that the higher classes, quote-unquote classes, are already dominated by white people. And this is a culture that they're comfortable with. And when I go there, not if, when, I'm going to mm-hmm. go there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so... Oh, thank you. <laughs> so when I go there, I'm going to have to learn how to act, whereas my white peers will all already know how to act. And this is like, this doesn't seem that big, but also it's about who gets to make a change, who gets to, you know, like become a Supreme Court justice, mm-hmm. who gets to, I don't know. It's like they're not going to be willing to open a door for me to be like this is how i do stuff this is how i take off my shoes yeah you're gonna be like you're just gonna walk in my house with your shoes on yeah yeah okay and like all of this all of these like power relations itself are just a final confirmation of whiteness itself all of these things just serve to reinforce the idea that whiteness itself is the default and when youngsa does become a lawyer which i know she is she's gonna she's gonna face like so many like whether it's like micro or macro aggressions like in her like everyday life or like when she tries to become like a justice on the supreme court like every (laughs) single day will be one in which she's like reminded of her and her identity and i think this is what inspired me to make a connection to Orientalism, which is by is the name of a book by a dude named Edward Said. And this word is named is used to characterize the way a lot of Western people may patronize or disrespect, in other words, essentialize the people of the Orient as uneducated and savage. And the Orient is just the Middle East, um, East Asia, and South Asia and parts of North Africa in order to reinforce the idea that Western Western society is like inherently superior. Yeah, even, even what is about like, ooh, exotic. Right. It's like, it seems at surface like they're praising it, but in the end, they're like very belittling mm-hmm. other cultures. Yeah, yeah. So that's the concept of essentializing it to one specific Mm -hmm. concept one stereotype yeah Yeah. and from this perspective on eastern society comes the idea that they're savage and sometimes even that they are more feminine than their western counterparts and thus a natural cultural european cultural imperialism arises and orientalism allows those people living in western states regardless of origin whether it's me or young to 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 like continue to contribute to the othering of practices of the POC, like taking off your shoes and making it easier for whiteness and white culture and white being 
at, to be like the easiest option for those people. And Saeed talks specifically about the creation of cultural hegemony by white people. In a globalized society, most of the people we're going to see in media and television are going to be white people. And how yeah. that has shaped um, the discourse surrounding people of the Ori- Orient. And I'm really trying not to simplify his argument, but also this is a podcast run by two <laughs> juniors. Um, I think we can say that this b- book provides a framework for understanding the the cultural hegemony discussed by Said and how that has created a world in which all of these norms are actually the result of what previously was colonial rule, once I was colonized. <laughs> and how... Well, Saeed points to citizenship itself. I guess this is a thing we keep coming back to, like immigration and citizenship as an issue that is a European construct. In addition to consumptions of Middle Eastern, East Asian, and South Asian people as the stereotyped characters, whether they're on The Simpsons or the over-accented yellow face we see in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Literally, like, every Asian character ever is very stereotyped like we very rarely see any round characters yeah yeah Yeah. we are going to talk about that some other day right yeah yeah Yeah. i don't think that this like equating of white culture to american is like a very pressing issue that we need to like solve immediately like everybody try to solve this vote something like that is not as pressing as that but we can't forget that this does have effects that do affect people like us Mm -hmm. like people of color like us in our daily lives and it adds up like even if it's at a micro level like it affects us at micro levels but it exists in macro levels does that make sense yeah 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 so do you think to some degree immigrants people of color do have to conform to this Right, yeah, so that's, like, the issue of, like, assimilation versus multiculturalism, which I'm sure we're gonna, like, discuss more in depth at some point. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wait. Huh? Oh. Oh. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, this is less spicy. Thank you. Yes, kimchi, some chicken. Kimchi, kimchi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we just we're, we're gonna cut that part out, but I want everybody to know that my mom and I, when we say kimchi to other people, we say kimchi, which is really funny and is another way that we conform to white culture, I guess, to the <laughs> American standards. Um, my mic is gonna pick it up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, even the way yeah. we say our names is yeah. really like I. The first time we recorded this episode, I said Indu, and the second time I said Induja, which is like something I have to deal with every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's not much of a struggle, but it yeah. like did, makes did you me... did you shorten it to Indu because of pronunciation? So or? my parents call me Indu. But, yeah. uh, like, people at school call me Indu, which is mm, distinct. Yeah. Like, one, yeah. of, one of them is, like, American and one of them is, oh, like, not. Yeah, yeah, Korean doesn't really have accents, so I don't really feel that that much. And people it's come not up, the yeah. accent so much of, like, the pronunciation of the, oh. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Like people come up to me, like teachers come up to me, and they're like, "I've been saying your name wrong," and I'm like, "No, you haven't." <laughs> they're like, "I've been saying like Young Sa instead of Young So," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Both of them are like close enough." Yeah. Okay, so the way my name is spelled is Y O U N G S E O, and the S E O part, like I get that it can be confusing. Like people say like Seo Seo, like a lot, and that's like I understand, but people are like Young Seo, Young Sao, Young. I don't know, like, I don't get where the Sao sounds come from. I think that's, you know, like, just another, like, oh, that sounds Asian. Yeah. Kind of, like, mm-hmm. again, what are just, just, like, stereotyping things. Um, yeah, I don't know what makes them say young instead of young. And people yeah. are... It's literally because yeah. they, like, think they can, like, get it right on the first try by, like, making an Asian sound. Yeah, I yeah. don't even know what that means, honestly. Yeah, I... So, it's been three and a half years since I moved to America. And for the first two, I did not know how to say my name, like, with an English accent, I guess. Right. So, people would be like... Who What's does? Your... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, people would be like, how do you say your name? And I'd be like, Youngsa. They'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be like, Youngsa. And they'd be like, oh, Youngsa. Young... And I'm like, Youngsa, Youngsa. Those are, like, both close enough i don't even notice the difference like if you're doing one of those that's like close enough for me also like as an immigrant like i don't really understand how like societies of just that group can exist you know like multiculturalism as in like not speak that language like just don't interact with other people like like um i I feel like multiculturalism is like more like where so okay so i'm malayali so we have like a malayali association and can can you tell our listeners what that means because they don't know yeah okay so i speak malayalam which is a language spoken in india and there's this state that's like yeah. a third the size of florida and, <laughs> and it, there's a lot of languages in india India, yeah we don't all speak hindi and yeah. we don't definitely don't speak indian <laughs> uh yeah so yeah so we have like so i when i hear the word multiculturalism like the first example that comes to mind is quebec because that's a I'm I'm not really sure about the specifics, but I know that like a a large population speaks French mm-hmm. because they are ethnically French and yeah. they exist within Canada, but as like an independent, like some sort of like independent territory, something like that, where like French is accepted and French culture is accepted, and they have like their festivals and stuff like that, and they accept their French identity and they don't like conform to like any type mm-hmm. of like Canadian like there's no Canadian culture that they have to conform to yeah on the other hand like a community like that can't really exist in America because you have to speak English in order to go to the grocery store or learn in a school like there's no bilingual education for kids that only speak Spanish Mm -hmm. there's no good bilingual education yeah (laughs) Although, like, ESL education is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, from my experience as an immigrant, like, what happened to me, like, that seems wild. Like, I can't really, like, wrap my head around it. Yeah. But it's like, you do that. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 
So thank you everybody. So that's all we have for today. Thank you everybody for listening to One Size Colonized today. Uh, tweet us at at Once Colonized. Give us attention at at One Size Colonized on Instagram. Talk to us about the default of white culture online and let us know what you think. And next week we'll come back with voter suppression. Yes, and that's gonna be from Red Cross. So. Yeah, and it's gonna be super fun. Yay! <laughs> okay. Thank you. Where is it? <laughs>